Everybody, welcome to Video Night. It is the 50th anniversary of Monty Python, so we thought, hey, why not discuss the four films? Technically five. One of them is live at the Hollywood Bowl, but it's not... It's kind of like captioning concert film. I, re I really don't count that. So, um, I'm Michael. Jacob's on the other side with me. Hello, deaf English Kniggerton, Mr. Arthur King, who has the brain of a... <laughs> you just turn robotic. It's this broadcast. Hey, everybody, this is going to be our most self-indulgent episode. <laughs> this is going to be cool. ridiculous. We are going to dive into whatever silly lines and bits and pieces we want to go into. I don't even think we're going to analyze it critically. It's just, it's not that kind of series. No, oh, God, no. I mean, shoot. All it is is just a doorway to absurdity. Okay, so <laughs> let's talk about uh, the original series real quick. Um you know, I know I don't know it that well before Monty Python. I think it was like the Goon Show, and not necessarily no. I can't remember what it's called. Not necessarily the news. That's a different British show. Um, but you know, they kind of both shows got canceled and combined to make uh, the Flying Circus. And I would catch it on PBS. This is back in the day when PBS was critical to finding anything that was foreign or kind of like uh, artsy you know you want to see live plays if you want to see what's the show they have where it's uh performances down in texas they've been doing it for like 40 years the hell's that called oh my god why am i booking on it i should know this yeah, i know it's the one where they do all the live performances i think from austin what the oh it doesn't matter but you know that's where you catch mr bean first and monty python and doctor who of course we had the stables you know, the, the, the stuff is with kids. You know, we watched Sesame Street and Square One. Anybody remember Square One? The only show I was allowed to watch when I was grounded? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, sadly, no. Oh, I'll have to look it up. Square One was a math show. It was a half hour long, and it would have little sketches devoted to math. And it always ended uh. with a 10-minute segment called MathNet, where these two detectives would solve mysteries but using math. And it was one of the few. And then uh, Carmen Sandiego was the other show. Once that debuted, I was allowed to watch that. Oh, yes. Square one. I think Learning about history, San Diego was very important. Yeah. But PBS was that place you went for educational and, you know, travel shows, so that Rick Steves, you know, that, that kind of stuff. That's where PBS, um, I don't even know what they air anymore. I honestly don't even pay attention. Um People argue they should cut PBS, and I made that argument too, which is weird because I'm, I'm pretty liberal, but at the same time I was like, well, I mean, everything's available like on YouTube. And then you forget poor families can't afford the internet because it's way too expensive, and I'm a jackass, and I feel sorry for saying that. You better. I know. You're an asshole. Uh, <laughs> punch you in the mouth, you dirty rapist. But I had never seen any of the movies. But I, everybody has that one friend. And uh, sometimes it's, the, you know, you. Uh, I was not that person. Jacob, you were probably a cool kid, and you probably knew all the weird, nerdy stuff and to uh, showed to your friends. But um, I had a friend, Aaron Hawley, who brought over one night uh, Strange Brew, Monty Python, The Holy Grail, and then we watched Evil Dead that night on USA Up All Night. And that blew <laughs> my fucking mind. That one night changed everything for me. I started looking for weirder stuff and more horror stuff. You know, not just the mainstream PG-13. I think the most I had seen at that time was maybe Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare. And, uh, you know, that that's really poppy. You know, that, that final entry was really mainstream. Oh, God, yes, it was. But and then you see the cast of it, too, and you're like, oh, wow. I didn't yeah. think they were in this movie. We discussed... Right, even Johnny Depp made an appearance. We discussed doing an episode based on sketches. There's a Saturday Live movies. There's the Kids in the Hall movie. There's one based on Mr. Show and SCTV and stuff like that. And I think this is where you should always start is because Monty Python, I think, literally is the first sketch show to go off into cinema, you know, into film form. And uh, the first one is now for something completely different, which is shot on film instead of video. They chose the best sketches to make it a hell of a ride. This is the one that I had seen most often. When I go back to visit the show, I'm kind of bored because it's kind of like the early seasons of SNL where we cherish and we think it's the greatest thing ever, but that's only because we remember the, the high points. Some of it's really rough. Oh, yeah, no, definitely. Oh, gosh, especially, like, what, during the mid-'80s? Yeah, and I was thinking 
you know, the influence it had on Kids in the Hall with its uh, character pieces and more absurdism instead of basing it on exactly what's going on at that moment, the way SNL does it. And also the fact, of course, boys in drag, which is always funny. Yeah. Yes, of course. Oh, man. <laughs> One sketch in particular uh, that Monty Python did for Flying Circus when they were all those old ladies and they were in this big old brawl and fighting, getting all muddy. <laughs> <laughs> like, what was that? Yeah, there, there's... Dude, this honestly you did... Go ahead. Sorry. Oh, uh, this did spark a lot of imagination and a lot of like sketch groups to come up. I mean, you look at, um, you know, again, Saturday Night Live, Kids in the Hall, uh, even Broken Lizard. I mean, they named themselves their little group uh, uh, as like a little, little nod of Monty Python. Why does kids you know? Yeah, well, Mr. Show. Mr. Show took it to the nth oh, degree, yeah. and they decided that they're going to take that linking thing that Monty Python did, which was so insanely difficult by having a linking segment that would go between sketches so that it would flow into one solid story instead of breaking it up, which was feasible oh, yeah. on HBO, whereas most channels couldn't do it because they had to stop for commercials. Oh, my God. Another show just popped up. Tracy Ullman. Yeah, oh, my God. I cannot believe I forgot Tracy Ullman. So, yeah, the connectivity. You know, the connective tissue in all of that, uh, throughout all of sketch comedy, goes back to Monty Python, which, you know, um, in the first movie, and now for something completely different, you can see, like, the best of Monty Python, whereas a lot of the show stuff, um, not all of it works. I think it's like the first five seasons of SNL, I think our memories are stronger than the... You even talked about, like, the 80s, when it was just Eddie Murphy. A lot of it was garbage. We just remember the high points. And not everything in Monty Python works. A lot of it does, and it's very innovative. And I think that's why people cherish it so much, because it was the first sketch comedy that went a completely different direction than everything else you saw. Pretty much, yes. Oh, God. I don't, there were just some ridiculous skits, like um, I think the newscaster was talking, and then he's like, and now a giant hammer is going to hit me on the head. <laughs> I don't think that's going to happen. And then a giant hammer did knock out Terry Jones. <laughs> or Terry Jones was wearing that little bowler cap with the orange wig. Yeah. <laughs> There's an axe stuck in his head, and he's just laughing hysterically. <laughs> yeah, if you think about the sketch comedy at that time, though, like it was so mainstream and generic, it wasn't really trying for that next level. I think a lot of it was copying your show of shows with Sid Caesar, which is probably the most groundbreaking of that time. But, you know, it's like laughing, and the Carol Burnett show were taking off in America, and this was something unique. And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what I'm watching here. Oh, I know. Seriously. Oh, God. It, <laughs> I, it was. It was just absolutely absurd. Like, there was just so much absurdity that it was genius. It's pretty much, I think this this is what, like, pretty much set up the state as well. Yeah, you know what? There is a lot of, like, of course, the drag. That That's very basic, though. You know, Kids in the Hall did it. Um, MTV did it. Or not MTV. Uh, the state did it. Saturday Live did it. That's kind of normal. What, what was different was, I think, the approach. That they were trying for this next level character behavior that a lot of shows were not because a lot of shows were saying like they, they copy snl or mad tv stuff like that whereas the really complex ones it's usually the ones that are on independent stations they don't last very long those are more connected to saturday live like you said the kids the whitest kids you know uh there was a show called brilliant um over in the bbc uh which i don't think you've ever seen that one i gotta find sketches for you on that one um uh and mr show Oh, yes. But, but um, yeah, no, as far as these sketch shows, yeah, uh, yeah, no, sometimes, uh, I don't unless they're like Saturday Night Live, yeah, they don't last as long. Or they can't. Or as you, I think you mentioned uh, Mr. Show, Bob David. Yeah, that that's the one I think is the strongest connection because that's the one that did uh, absurdist character pieces, but also the connective sketches. Because, you know, we're... If you're, I don't know, this is embarrassing, but I hit pause somewhere by accident and I cut off half of this episode <laughs> and we had to restart. So if we've already said this, I apologize. But um, <laughs> the artwork that Terry Gilliam would do to connect the sketches made it easier. It honestly did. I know they probably couldn't afford to do it constantly, so sometimes trying to get one sketch to flow into the other wasn't as easy. Mr. Show didn't have the animation. They really had to work their asses off to get all of the sketches to connect. And it burnt them out. And even though they wanted to continue for a fifth season, HBO saw the writing on the wall. The ratings were down, which was stupid because they moved Mr. Show to Mondays. Because, you know, when you want to watch sketch comedy, Mondays at midnight, that's a perfect time. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Seriously? Yes. It's what? fucking dumbasses. Um, mm -hmm. 
So there's that and, and just the influence that it moved. You know, that and, and Monty Python didn't hit big in America till later when it hit uh, PBS. And, you know, they started doing the tours and they had the albums and, you know, they got the movie together to kind of say, hey, let's get the best of what we have together and then show it to American audiences. And, you know, uh, the Parrot Sketch course is the big one that everybody remembers. Uh, there's the double-sided climbing of Mount Kilimanjaro, the old lady gang. Um, what were the other ones that you liked? Uh, oh, gosh, there was uh, the Lumberjack song. And then there was also, oh, that one character, Eric Adelman played, Snap, Snap, Nut, Nut. Grin, grin, wink, oh right, yes, ball. yes. That's that's another one of those that's on that album, the uh, the final ripoff, which is the double cassette uh, collection they put together in the '80s to capitalize on a new generation that had just discovered all this stuff. There was a time when no one cared about Brady Bunch, no one cared about the first five seasons of SNL anymore. They were like, Saturday Night Live is dead, and then we cherished it because it was the 15th anniversary. They showed all this stuff on MTV, and then Nick at Night exploded, so you started seeing laughing and stuff like that. So the final ripoff is like my big thing with Monty Python. I listened to that thing until it fell apart. And they had oh, wow. um, they had uh, this one where John Cleese goes into a bookshop, and it's it's very much like the cheese shop one and the and the parrot uh, the dead parrot sketch. He goes in and he asks about a book, and the guy gives him so many challenges. I think I think it's John Cleese. Uh, yeah, he he has to deal with a very very picky buyer. And he's just like, do you have a birds, uh, a book on birds? Um, and I want the one without the gamut. And he's like, right, the gamut. I'll tear the pages out. He goes, well, it's a torn book. I don't want that. Fine. <laughs> and he goes, do you have a tale of two titties by Charles Dickens with one M and a silent Q? <laughs> just completely ridiculous. <laughs> what the hell? Oh, the one M and a silent Q. <laughs> Four M's and a silent from. Q. Fucking absurd. And just stuff like that. And the cheese shop, of course, is the one I love where he just argues with him. And he just, it's like, what kind of cheeses do you have? And he goes through. He goes, nope, nope, don't have that one. Nope, don't have one. I have that one. Oh, you do? Yes, it's a bit runny. Oh, I'll take it. It's really runny. I don't care. I'll take it anyway. Oh, we're all out of it. You son of a bitch. Okay. Uh, do you have cheddar? Nope, don't have much call for it. Not call, much call for cheddar? The single most popular cheese in the world? Nope, not much call for it. The whole time there's this little bazooki player going, and then driving him crazy. It keeps him faster the more agitated John Cleese gets. <laughs> I gotta find these. I gotta find these sketches for you because there's a point where he's begging him for any like just any random cheese, and he starts making up cheeses, and he's like Venezuelan beaver cheese, and <laughs> just fucking ridiculous. I, I still say well, that I to this day: Venezuelan beaver cheese. <laughs> <laughs> it's the most rarest. Also, um, well, Flying Circus is actually on Netflix. Oh, good. Yeah, like all of it. I'm like, oh, okay, good. I really had to watch it and brush up on some of it. Oh, no. Uh, Michael Palin's walking around looking for an argument, and he goes to the wrong office. Oh, yes. That's on, that's on the, 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 the double ripoff, or the final ripoff cassette. Uh, the argument, oh, my God, you didn't come here for an argument. Yes, I did. No, oh, you didn't. Yes, I did. Now, and let me tell you this. An argument isn't simply contradicting what I am saying. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's how he got his argument. <laughs> uh, but first, he walks in on Eric Chapman, and he just goes, you rather just rather, uh, some, something with pervert. He's like, what? I can't hear for an argument. Oh, no. This is, a, this is abuse. Did I, say, <laughs> did I say his name wrong? I think I did, yeah. I said Eric instead of Graham. Oh, oh and God of course, the infamous... Now, I don't remember Spam being in the television show. I think Spam was strictly for the albums. Um, where, it, where You know the one with Spam, 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 Wonderful Spam, Glorious Spam. I don't like Spam! <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, we got I Sausage Eggs, Cheese and Spam, and Spam Eggs, Spam and Spam. <laughs> just a glorious just so ridiculous um of course oh, yeah. oh, oh no one asked for the spanish inquisition there's so many quotable things from this it's insane and this is just the show <laughs> i know here's the thing it's like they just say it out of nowhere and it's like well it's not like the spanish inquisition is gonna pop up <laughs> they pop up out of nowhere no one expects the spanish inquisition <laughs> <laughs> we stand for these four things Four? And then he's like, oh, that was five. Oh, we, we stand for these five things? 
<laughs> yeah, as he keeps going along, like the list gets getting bigger. <laughs> <laughs> the oh, comfy God. chair? The comfy chair! Get the comfy chair! There's, oh, no. a, uh, there's one last one I want to mention before we go into Holy Grail. It is where there's a guy there designing a uh, a line of flats for this company. They want they want to build some new apartments. Flats is what they call it in the UK. Um, and he's describing it to them. And they're like, mm, that sounds good. That sounds good. And he goes, and then when the uh, the tenant goes to bed, the bed will uh, the floor will give out. The bed will slide down. The man will fall out, and he'll fall into a uh, a rotating grinders, and it'll chop him up into slimy meat, and it'll shoot the blood and gore out. Then like, oh wait, what was that again? And he goes. It chops up the tenants and, and turns them into grinding meat. And like, uh, hold on a second. Why? Why? <laughs> he's like, what? You just want a simple block of flats? Nobody has any taste anymore. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? What, what's the one with the uh, Bruce? I'm not Bruce. This is my cousin Bruce. It's my other brother Bruce. <laughs> oh, God. No, I can't remember. Oh. Some of it is from the live show. That's the one that we didn't mention live, uh, live at the Hollywood Bowl, and I think there's a couple other ones. They're in after the movies, they would go off and do like uh, the policeman's private ball, the secret ball, whatever. That was for charity, which eventually got spun off into comic relief. Not a lot of people know that. Well, I mean, well, it being Money Python, it has to be comic relief. No, no, no. The comic relief uh, charity show that was on HBO for like 30 years before Robin Williams oh. passed. Oh, dang. Do you not know what this is? I. Haven't the faintest idea. Oh my I God. Okay, remember. So I think it started. It started a couple years after the Secret Policeman's Private Ball, which was for charity in England. And then one of the guys, Bob Zamuda, who I believe was Andy Kaufman's producing writing partner, he came yes, to America. He, he came to America and got HBO to sign up with him. They got the greatest comedians, and they would do like a two-hour show once a year, and it would raise money for the homeless. And they did this forever. They used to put them on tape. And my parents would let me rent them, not realizing that some of it was insanely vulgar. This is the first time I saw Bob Saget say the word cocksucker. And you're like, whoa! <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I'm trying to think of another uh, comic. Uh, I can't remember. Uh, very tall, thin guy. Jeez, uh, he was making the joke about, like, Fran Drescher, Fran Drescher is the reason men go gay. Oh, yeah, I don't know who the tall I was going to say Bobby's Stephen Wright, but that would be his thing. But, yeah, that's what it was. But uh, let's go back to Monty Python before we derail too far. So we have the live show building up steam. PBS is exposing them all over, you know, America. So they're big in the U.K. already. And it's time for them to go beyond just, you know, filming their sketches. It's time for them to do a real movie. And it's weird. With even that growing popularity, they still had to beg, borrow, and steal and get, you know, I think it was George Harrison was the first, like, big investor in their company, started handmade films. He would pay for I think all of life of Brian, but it was a bunch oh. of music. But it was a bunch of musicians and friends that got in, and I think Holy Grail only cost three hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which is astonishing considering how much they accomplished. Oh yeah, no, no doubt. Jeez, I mean, you look at the uh, chainmail. It's not actual chainmail; it's just shirts that look like chainmail. Really? I never noticed yeah. that before. <laughs> I know. Dude, I mean, the Knights really who say me, off. man, they're they're uh, they're. Uh. <laughs> Their pay is – their daily rate is high. It's like Bruce Willis high, so I can't believe they could afford it. They must have really liked the guys from my Island. <laughs> on the insurance on the, the – not the Invisible Swordman. That's from Three Amigos. Uh, what is the guy who gets his arms and legs cut off? It's just a flesh wound. The Black Knight. Oh, Black yeah. Knight, yeah. But, freaking... <laughs> that was John Cleese. <laughs> if I remember correctly, they decide to save money because they, you know, horses are expensive plus they're hard to control is they decided to just do the coconuts to save money. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're using coconuts. You got two empty aisles of coconuts, and you're banging them together. <laughs> oh, I just God, love that. I'm being scene. repressed. There's so many lines in this. The, the, the simple, I mean, it's hard to break down the whole story. I mean, if you haven't seen it, I don't, why are you even listening to this? But it's just, I think this is the one where it became an issue between a co-directors like Terry Jones. I used to think, okay, here's the thing. So I thought Terry Hughes... And Terry Jones were the same person. And I was like, wow, Terry Jones has been directing Third Rock from the Sun because his name was always on there. No, different person. Sadly, Terry Jones uh, didn't do a lot of movies after this. And I saw that he is suffering severe dementia. That he, he can barely function. He's going to go soon. It's really sad. Uh, no, it really is. He actually was one of the writers of Labyrinth. You are correct. And I, I know he did Eric the Viking with Tim Robbins and um, Eric Idle. But, uh, so him and Gilliam... 
directed this together, and I guess they kind of butted heads, and that's why after this, they kind of went in their different directions. Jones did Life of Brian, and then Gillian went off and did Jabberwocky, a movie I have not seen in probably 25 years. Wow, Jabberwocky. I have to look into that. Yeah, it's Michael Palin. They're fighting a giant dragon. That's all I remember. It looked real murky. If there was a spiritual sequel to Holy Grail, it's Jabberwocky. Oh, wow. No, I'll definitely have to look into it. But wait, it couldn't be Galahad because Galahad died. <laughs> the freaking bridge. In order to cross the bridge, they have to answer a few questions. Oh, yeah. The first two are, what's your name? What's your quest? What's and your favorite club? <laughs> what's, your, what's your quest? Oh. The Seek the Holy Grail. What's <laughs> is the what's the capital of Assyria? I don't know. And then freaking Aragorn just like falls off and dies. It's flung in. But Galahad died in the dumbest way. <laughs> like he's like you know he asked him what was his favorite color and he's like blue. No wait, yellow. And then he gets and then he dies. Then he fucking dies. I just there's certain little things in this that just make it so special. Of course, the the ridiculousness of blood flying everywhere on the black swordsman. You know, um, I'll bite your knees <laughs> off. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the whole entire scene. A scratch your arms off. No, it isn't. What's that then? <laughs> just just kick him in the ass. You know, and then building the team is a lot of fun. And Sir Robin, not so brave. And, and then there's a little baby in the suit. <laughs> Sir will not be appearing Sir, in this no. picture. <laughs> <laughs> no. And then you see the hand flipping. Also, this gorilla hand. Just comes and takes the uh, woman's hand away. I'm like, what the hell? Uh, God, to, to, do it, are... to do it structurally, I mean, there's the whole, uh, bring out your dead. I'm not dead. Not yet. He will uh, be. Uh, I'm getting better. <laughs> I can't take him like that. It's against regulations. Is there anything you could do? I can't. <laughs> and then he just knocks him out. <laughs> Burn her. She's a witch. She turned me into a newt. A, a newt. newt. <laughs> I got better. <laughs> Burn her anyway. <laughs> so like that I just it's so ridiculous and, and they the funny thing is they really tab into what was so ridiculous about the dark ages just so ridiculous which is you know that's a long gap for people to remember that kind of satire from like you know 600 years prior more oh, than that God, yeah. that's like a thousand years prior almost it's like yeah 932 over a thousand years <laughs> you must chop down this tree with a herring <laughs> Cut down a tree with a herring. It can't be done. Ah, don't say that word. Can't tell. Suffice to say, that's one of the words the Knights of Need cannot hear. <laughs> you know, I was like, what is it? Is? No, we can't get very far unless it outside like, is. <laughs> <laughs> or uh, there's when Michael Palin goes to the the nunnery and it'll, we can oh, see yeah. We must all be spanked. Spank us all. And then after that, the blow drops. He's like, what? No, I was... <laughs> Dude, your like, quest... Well, I stay. <laughs> your I quest stay. is stupid. Stay. <laughs> and then Lancelot comes in and saves him. It's like, no, you're in the nick of peril. It's like, look, as a knight, it's my duty to face peril. No, we gotta find the Holy Grail. I bet you're okay. No, Is this before or after when he goes to save... Um, you, you know, the, the little... Oh, father, I don't care about the lands. <laughs> what? You there don't care about the lands? <laughs> She's got huge yes. tracts of lands. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think it was like, no, it was before that. Okay. And then Lancelot comes along, and then when he comes to the castle, I love when he's like running towards the castle, they're using the same damn clip over and over. And then out of nowhere, he just appears and starts killing everybody. Oh, yeah, there's so much blood and gore that it's all an accident. He's like, oh, sorry, I'm not dead yet. He's <laughs> it, like, eh, it's like, I, I would want her to look upon me as my, as her own dad. Since the death of her father, he's not quite dead. He's getting better. And then he has his own guard kill him. <laughs> well, it was the, two, the two guards before that, the one with the hiccups and, and Eric Idle being completely absurd. What, you want us to go and he stays? No, 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 you stay here. You watch him. <laughs> and make sure he doesn't leave. Oh, the prince. Oh, I thought you meant him. It would be a little silly to watch him while, while he's a guard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the, like I said, this is indulgent. We just love it. Um, uh, I just, the, the fighting uh, the giant. Oh, yeah, who cares? The sorcerer, Tim. Um, some people call me Tim. <laughs> the enchanter. <laughs> He's like, could you help us look for a, a what? A grail! <laughs> and they have to face off with that killer rabbit. They're like, that's stupid. He's got huge, punky teeth. <laughs> <laughs> and then 
they end up using the holy hand grenade. A fucking hand grenade. Yeah, but he can't count it. He's like, for the count of three. <laughs> oh, you know, when he's giving the instructions. Five is right out. <laughs> One, two, five. Three, sir. Oh, three. And then they end up killing the rabbit, and then they go into the cave. And the castle. Ah. And then, of course, they're eaten by the uh, Terry Gilliam draw. It's, it's so much fun. And, and then, uh, what is it, the end of the movie? They actually, uh, like, almost to their goal, and they get arrested for killing the narrator. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's like they got arrested because they were pointed out to have killed the narrator, even though it wasn't them at all. It was a completely different night. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I prefer Holy Grail over our next one. Something about Life of Brian I can't connect to. There are funny bits. And I get the point of the satire. To me, oh, though, God, it's yes. nowhere nearly as funny or as quotable. I couldn't tell you hardly a thing from the movie except that I see Graham Chapman's dick and that there's a whole thing where he's pretending to be a messiah and he's got to, like, get all these crazy, like, rantings and ravings while everybody else looks like they're completely nuts. And he <laughs> starts having an argument with them. And that, and he has to do the graffiti, like, 900 times. You misspelled that. No, write it 600 more times. <laughs> That's all I can remember. Yeah, except for the end. And for some reason, I know Life of Brian gets the more critical acclaim. It was much bigger budget. It got a much bigger box office. I just don't cherish Life of Brian. Oh, it pissed off the churches, though. They banned it for oh, no. being you. Well, you know what they should do is always look on the bright side of life. Exactly. <laughs> well, I love uh, the part that people front to Judea. They were like a huge joke. They would talk about uh, bringing in legislation. Or uh, when Eric Idle's like, you know, wanting to be a woman, he's like, I want to be called Loretta. I want to have babies. He's like, you can't have babies. I'm not impressing you. You don't have a womb. What's the fetus going to You got to keep it in a box? I forgot there's a musical moment also in uh, Monty Python, the Holy Grail, with the knights. Now it's the round table. <laughs> and he's like, you we're not going there. It's a silly place. <laughs> and then they just walk away. Oh, no. But the, the, the scene with God, the animated bit. He's like, oh, don't grovel. That's what they can't stand with people groveling. He's like this little fucking cranky asshole who hates when people like bow before him and all that. Yeah, there is a moment in Life of Brian though that throws me for a loop, and always like when he gets on the spaceship for a brief moment, you're like, what the fuck is going on? I know, it's like of all the things that happen, goddamn, goddamn aliens, these weird ass aliens that look like something out of our real monsters. Yeah, and the end. The ending is so bitter and cynical, and I just don't... I don't know. There's an absurdism to the end of Holy Grail, which I love. The life of Brian is absurd, but it's also so fucking bleak because you know it really happened. They really did do the, uh, 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 crucify people. Crucified. Fucking horrifying. Uh, I love that one part where Eric Idle's just, like, messing with him. And he, uh, Michael Palin's like, crucifixion? He's like, nope, freedom. Really? <laughs> yeah. They told me I didn't do anything wrong and this and that, so I get to go out. I'm only pulling your leg. And then when Brian actually gets freed by uh, Michael Palin's other character, who, uh, I guess the one who's overwatching uh, Judea, uh-huh. he releases Brian and then he goes, hey, I'm Brian Nazareth. Oh, I'm joking. I'm not Brian. Hey, I'm only pulling your leg. <laughs> and he actually gets freed. Yeah. Oh, God. I don't know. One more thing about my uh, Michael Palin's character, as he's like that Caesar or overseer of the city. And he has that speech impediment, and they uh, oh, right. <laughs> and they keep making laughing at him. And then he says, uh, "Power." <laughs> oh no! This last uh, that last thing he says after he mentions biggest Dickus's wife in Continentia Phonics. <laughs> and then he's like, "What is all this wild, wildy, wibbly?" <laughs> he's like, "Stayed everything with his fucking speech impediment." And the guards are dying of laughter. <laughs> I do feel like they got to the punch before um, History of the World Part One. Where, you know, that one, I think, was just a year too late because some of the jokes are like, well, they kind of did that in Life of Brian. I get it, but, you know. Um, the nice part is Life oh, of Brian yes. doesn't lose steam the way History of the World does. But for me, I just, I've only seen Life of Brian probably three times. I think I'm done. I don't think I'm going to watch it again. Holy Grail, I'll probably watch the rest of my life. Same thing for the last movie, uh, Meaning of Life, which is my favorite of the bunch. Because, like Holy Grail, it's like vignettes. I mean, it's literally a sketch movie. So it breaks it up, and but you know the way Holy Grail structure is is that it's, it's a little vignettes. You don't like this five minute segment, wait, and then you'll get another five minute segment that's different. Right. 
uh, yeah, uh, Meaning of Life, as a teenager, like when I was in high school, I, I mean, I loved Monty Python. And when I watched this one, I was like, eh. But now as an adult, I absolutely cherish it and love it after watching it again. It, it does get absolutely, of course, absurd. Uh, even just from that part where um, there's like the Jewish Rastafarian and they come in to, the, uh, people are coming in to uh, take his liver because oh, he's yeah. an organ donor, but he's like, I'm using it. I'm alive <laughs> still. They're like, all right, that's it. Enough out of you. <laughs> and then they kill him and cut out his liver. I love it. Uh, Go ahead. As his wife's observing, he's like, what's going on here? And she's just like calm, cool, and collected about it. And then Eric Idle pops out of her like uh, fridge and t- tells him about the whole galaxy and yeah. expanding universe. <laughs> like, what the fuck? The, uh, the first real breakout <laughs> moment. Cause, well, there's, there's, a whole, there's a whole short film before that, which is interesting because the short film breaks into the movie, which is in, like, you know, 45 minutes into the movie, all of a sudden we get a, a call back to the opening sketch or short film. Um, that one's okay. Oh, yeah. You'll see a very young Matt Frewer, a.k.a. Max Headroom, uh, in that boardroom scene. Um, yes. Pirates. The, um, the Crimson Permanent Assurance. <laughs> But it opens up with this whole thing, you know, because birth, life, death, uh, uh, war, stuff like that. And there is a sketch where Michael Palin has like 90 kids. And he's like, we got to get rid of some of you. And they're like, couldn't you just get, uh, yeah, uh, you know, your penis fixed or whatever? He goes, no, that would be against the church. And he goes, well, what oh, if yeah. it was an accident? What if your balls got caught in a drawer or they blew off or something? He goes, no, couldn't do it. <laughs> we got to get rid of some of you. And, and they... I have to tell you all for medical experiments. <laughs> Every oh, yeah. sperm is sacred. Every just... sperm is grand. So I took my mother to a revival showing of this, forgetting some of the moments. And I know during this song, she kind of I, like side-eyed me. And she was like, what is this about? <laughs> There's a moment in the movie where I had to walk away. You know the uh, yeah. the sex part where John Cleese is trying to teach the kids about sex? I was like, yeah, yeah I'm going to go out to lobby for about five minutes until the sketch is over. <laughs> that well, Yeah, that was just really weird. I'm like, eh. <laughs> I mean, I guess they're said, I mean, it, mentioning sex education is important, but an actual live demonstration? No. <laughs> Especially the, if it's your teacher. The, uh, but, the whole war thing when they, they, uh, they're fighting the Zulu warriors. Oh, well, hold on. Let's just start before that because... Did I miss these sketches? Does it go right from? It doesn't go right from that to war, does it? It goes to World War. It does go to war, but like I think it was World War One or two. But <laughs> Eric Idle's getting shot, and uh, you know Terry Jones is like their um, uh, is the leader of that. Oh, I'm trying to. Oh God, I'm trying to remember. What's the word I'm thinking of? That little platoon. Yeah. He's like in charge of that platoon, and it's like uh, you know, it's like oh yeah, sure, be ungrateful. We slave day and night to make you this cake and save up all our rations. And here you go, not wanting to fucking eat. Well, the, the ridiculous part is that he makes him a clock, and then someone else makes him a clock, and they're both insane, like so gorgeous. They didn't, they made it. They didn't steal it. They made it. And I'm like, this is brilliant. This the ridiculousness of all this is just brilliant. But um, immediately after that is when it goes into the lion one during the Zulu War. And Eric Idle is just oh. calm as can be, drinking tea. He's like, oh, I woke up this morning, one sock too many. <laughs> He's missing a leg. Exactly. Oh, yeah, and they thought it was a tiger. He's like, oh, wait, a tiger in Africa? <laughs> <laughs> of course. But I love the part where he says, um, you think a lion will come back tonight? And he goes, you're right. We need to stitch that back up, the little, like, curtain thing over his bed. Like, that was going to stop the lion. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, yes. And now here we are halfway through the film. <laughs> Apparently, John Cleese was uh, deathly ill during that scene, and then when they would cut to, he would just, like massive puking off screen, which brings me to the scene of the gluttony and how we treat people in the service industry, which is an indictment of you know the one percenters and everybody below them. This massive, massive man comes into the, I'll take everything on the menu, and just vomiting everywhere. Blah, blah. <laughs> Exactly. And then it's like, one more little thin wafer mint. Wafer thin mint. Yeah, and it's like, oh, fuck off, I'm full. He's like, then he ends up eating, he's like, bon appetit, and then he goes to hide, and then he fucking explodes. <laughs> he's like, heart and ribcage, all this other shit. That's like... <laughs> what is it? What is, oh, there's, there's the whole narrative pieces with the fish, which is weird. They're all just like, in there like... Oh, what's the meaning of life? Oh, what's this then? I love that it cuts to this really, really bizarro sketch. And 
I never really cared for Family Guy, but there was an episode where they call back to this sketch, and I was like, this is brilliant. Um, is when they have the little absurdist, oh, fishy, fishy, oh. And, and with the I did go. Yeah, with the little yes. arms. Oh, fishy. And he's like twisting his little <laughs> nipples, which are faucets. Yeah. And just fucking insane. I just absolutely I love it. And the green monster with like the snuffle up against elephant head. Oh my god. There's little moments like, like that. that is Dr. Seuss. I think Dr. Seuss was a good influence on that. Yeah. The, uh, <laughs> Um, what's the one where they, they go to have a conversation at a restaurant and they're just it's an indictment of stupid mainstream Americans who don't appreciate anything about culture <laughs> could we have another oh, conversation yeah. please oh, we don't care for this one. Oh yeah no talking about philosophers and whatnot yeah <laughs> oh gosh and then um, oh what happened to them afterwards oh yeah then there was a oh like uh, the final chapter dead. Uh, Mr. Death's at the door. What should we say? Oh, come in. Do please come in. There's plenty. <laughs> you bloody then... Americans always with you. Let me tell you about it. I know what I think. Screw you. <laughs> oh, yeah, no. You Englishmen, you fucking Englishmen. You don't have any balls. <laughs> you all died because of the salmon moose. <laughs> <laughs> and as they're, like, heading towards the afterlife, Death just, like, skips for a minute. <laughs> I never caught that, really? <laughs> yeah, he does. I love it when they get to heaven, and I swear to you, Graham Chapman is doing like a Jeff Goldblum, even though Jeff Goldblum was barely a thing at the time. I thought it was Jeff Goldblum the first time I saw it. Oh, I know. You looked a lot like Jeff Goldblum. Like, what the hell? Like, definitely not uh, anybody really famous like uh, Frankie Avalon. Yeah. It's no. Christmas time all over the world. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's Christmas and Christmas and heaven. And then you see everybody from within the movie, like, at the table watching the uh, big old performance. Yeah. Oh, God. The first time I had seen this, it was on Bravo. And they cut the shit out of this movie. They had to, you know, the scene where Graham Chapman's running, like, away from the topless rollerbladers. And uh, that, was, that was cut up and that was slowed down and they had to do all these weird tricks to cut off, you know, like keep the boobs from being on the screen. Well, they do the same thing during the uh, Christmas time in heaven. I thought it was so strange. I didn't know what was going on because they had to zoom in on Graham Chapman, hold his face, play the audio while his mouth was moving at one eighth the speed. And then they slowly had to catch up. And I was like, this is nuts. This can't be right. No, God, yeah, no, that's so terrible. When it's on, like, public broadcast channels like that or TBS, it's, ugh. Yeah, it's mutilated. Heavily censored. It's, yeah, it is. It's <sighs> chopped. It's chopped suey. But there was one sequence I wanted to mention. Uh, when uh, I think Graham Chapman was, like, a military instructor, then he's like, now, God, strike me dead. Should I be wrong? And then he gets struck dead, and then it goes to Michael Palin, and he's like, don't act like you haven't seen the hand of God strike someone down before. And then he's like... <laughs> Stop that! Stop <laughs> that! That's silly! I will not have any more of this. Cut to the next scene. <laughs> Who doesn't oh, want to no, be here? Sir, so I'd like to go read a book I, I've been meaning to get to. Roy, go ahead! <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, okay. They all get dismissed and it's just him marching up and down the square. You don't want to be marching <laughs> up and down the square! Square? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, you know, how many takes did that they have to go through? Because I would not be able to keep it together. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean, I had Ugh. seen it enough by the time that I went to see the revival showing that I didn't laugh that hard. But I just remember just—I know we're missing a lot of sketches through all of this. But I was just thinking real quick. I can't believe we've only been talking about this for forty minutes, mind you. We lost maybe five to ten minutes of this show because I accidentally hit pause. Just remind you of my incompetence <laughs> and your silliness. Uh, um, well, I was just, just thinking, like, after this, like, they did the final live at Hollywood Bowl, and that's kind of when they went in different directions. They'd already started anyway. Cleese went off to do right. uh, Faulty Towers. Palin went off to do Ripping Yarns, and I know he did a couple other movies. And uh, Terry Jones and Graham Chapman, I think, were involved in Yellowbeard, which is the pirate movie, which everybody says is a pile of garbage, I think is okay. Yeah, and Graham Chapman sadly died uh, due to uh, throat cancer. I think so, but he yes, was having. He, he was passed having, he, away. I don't think he was much for the world anyway, because from what I was reading, is that his alcohol was just completely out of control by then. Yeah, sadly. And then of course, uh, oh Palin isn't Palin like an archaeologist or paleontologist? Yeah, that's the weirdest thing. He did this pivot in the '90s from doing comedy 
to doing travel shows and writing books about them. And I'm like, that is an interesting switch. doesn't mean you always have to stick to comedy. Well, I mean, they all met in college. That's probably where he was studying. Maybe. Um, uh, so Cleese is the one probably who broke out the biggest because yes. he, uh, I think it was Silverado and... Uh, Fish Called Wanda. Fish Called Wanda is the big one. Him and Palin got together for that one. That was a big hit. They got Academy Awards. But I feel like I saw John Cleese quite a bit before that. Um, and Eric Idle was always on People's Peripheral because he was a big Saturday Live. Well, they're all big Saturday Live guys. Uh, Palin and uh, Eric Idle would do guest shots and stuff like that. Eric Idle did that documentary, um, which might be the first mockumentary. It's uh, The Ruddles' All You Need Is Cash, which is a parody of um, The Beatles. And then, oh, wow. uh, I mean, music's been a big part. He's the one who's kept the franchise going because he did uh, Spam-A-Lot and not necessarily, wait, what is it? Not the Messiah is the musical version of Life of Brian? Yes. Not the Messiah. He's just a very naughty boy. Yeah. And he was in uh, Nuns on the Run, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and then he was European in... European Vacation. European Vacation, Splitting Hairs, where him and Eric, or uh, uh, Rick Moranis, are switched at birth, and one's supposed to be the prince, and he's not supposed to be. Um, was it John Cleese uh, was the villain in uh, Fievel, right? He's like a... Yeah. Right? Um, uh, American Tandle, uh, Fievel goes, goes West. Right, right. Um, I, really, Gilliam and Jones went off to just do directing. I don't remember them doing any acting after this. Gilliam, of course, is the one that's the most prolific, and he's the most critically acclaimed. But if you look at his prolific films, there's like a long gap between them, because uh, I believe it goes uh, Holy Grail, um, then uh, Jabberwocky, Time Bandits, which uh, he reunited with John Cleese. I think Idol might be in that one as well. Um, yes. Then did Brazil. Uh, Baron Munchausen, which was extremely expensive, re- extremely complicated, and was a huge flop. That almost destroyed his career, but Robin Williams loved him so much that he got him, uh, what is it, The Fisher King. Him and uh, Jeff Bridges both loved Gilliam, so they did that movie with him. That saved his career. 12 yes. Monkeys was a big hit. Okay, uh, what was another one I was trying to think of? There was 12 Monkeys. Fear and uh, Loathing. Did you also do Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas? Yes. That one I actually love. I love that movie, and I know people I hated too. it. It was a huge flop. You know, there is there is a trilogy, maybe a quadrilogy, of Hunter S. Thompson movies. Because there's The Razor's Edge with Bill Murray. Then there's Fear and Loathing. And then there's The Rum Diary with Johnny Depp, which I would love sometime just to watch all of those and do an episode about the the works of Hunter S. Thompson. Yes. I, I would definitely – well, I have to watch Rum Diaries. I, I walked. I went to see Rum Diary in the theaters, a very, very empty theater opening weekend. I loved it. No one else apparently cared. But I remember, like, after Fear and Loathing, I was so enraptured by it. I would walk around with a pen in my mouth all the time. This is my country. Get out of here. Arr. You have this one? <laughs> Sorry, um, I don't know. Then there, uh, what was another one he did? Uh, then there's the one, his recent one, uh, the Man Who Killed Don Quixote. Which oh, is, then there was Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus. Yeah, well, Don Quixote is the one that I think he's going to end on because it was like, a, what, a 15-year journey just to finish it because the first movie got destroyed. They made a documentary about the disaster behind it, and he finally got it made. I don't even think he got the movie the way he wanted it to, but uh, there is – I think he did one normal movie called The Door and the Floor with Jeff Bridges and Kim Basinger. That's like his most mainstream but he also did The Brothers Grimm with uh, Heath Ledger and Matt Damon. Yes, that was another one I was about to mention. Oh, God, yeah. That, yeah. that was a trip. It was like, of course, Grimm's Fairy Tales and like kind of mishmashing it. Uh, they were the con artists. <laughs> what was Cleese and Palin reunited for a spiritual sequel to Fish Called Wanda called Fierce Creatures, which everybody hated and was a massive flop. I, uh, I I really dig that movie, and I was really ashamed, or uh, it's not ashamed, uh, sad to see that people just rejected it outright. Fierce creatures. The um, I remember they showed up on SNL. The host was Kevin Spacey. Musical guest was Beck, but they opened the show. They did oh, wow. um, a, a fake news segment, and not the way Trump says fake news. Fuck that guy. Um, but they also did the parrot sketch for the first time in decades, and that was such a wonderful thing. And I think that is basically um, their send-off, at least on film. Didn't they do a reunited tour, uh, like four or one down, four to go, something like that? 
I believe so, yes. And I, there's something else I wanted to say about John Cleese. I'm like, I forget, like, what he graduated with in college, and he got a master's in. I was thinking, oh, gosh. Oh, my God. I have 7% left on this phone. Yipe. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I charged it. <laughs> Don't worry. Okay, good. Um, yeah, I was just thinking, like, just so many of these guys come in and out of each other's career, and I, I just, I'm glad they're still friends for the most part. Sadly, it looks like we're going to lose Terry Jones, so it'll be two down and three to go. But it was inevitable yeah. anyway. I was thinking, like, there was, right before those guys, the comedy teams were, like, uh, Spike Milligan, Dudley Moore, Peter Cook. Of course, Dudley Moore is probably being the most mainstream of American um, breakthrough. But it's just funny, like, they were so close together, yet the Monty Python crew is so much more cherished. Then after that, you get, like, the Rowan Atkinson. That's what it was. Not necessarily the news. That's what Rowan Atkinson, I think Robbie Coltrane, and then those guys, you know, they started doing Black Adder, Mr. Bean, stuff like that. So there's there's new waves. Oh, what's the young ones? Uh, but you can see all of Monty Python is a thread line through all that stuff. Oh, of course, yes. Oh, this is what he was. He's got a law degree from Cambridge. Who does? John Cleese. No shit. Yeah, no. He's Damn. he's a big guy now on doing touring and doing speeches and stuff like that. Uh, big anti-Trumper, um, just kind of like you know, it's, it's too smart for his own good sometimes because uh, I think a lot of times he says stuff and it really riles people up. But if you take a breath and pause, you'll realize he's probably right. Wow, you know, um, Cogsworth was written uh, from Beauty and the Beast. Cogsworth was written for him. Oh really? Mine. Yeah, huh. but he still turned it down. What? Nobody else was nobody else was considered for it, huh. except him. I'm like, damn! But he was an ape named Ape in uh, George of the Jungle. <laughs> oh yeah. So I'm looking at his IMDb. I was looking at this. There was Yellowbeard. There was Time Bandits. Privates on Parade, which nobody remembers that one. Uh, the Great Muppet Caper. Uh, Silverado. Clockwise, which was always on the video store shelf, which I never got around to watching, but I heard it was good. And then Fish Called Wanda. Eric the Viking. The Big Picture. Five Goes West, Splitting Airs. Wow, a lot of these are really are with his old team. Um, I think Wind in the Willows is the whole team from Monty Python Reunited. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was supposed to be Q. I forgot. Yeah, he was supposed to take over for Q, and that only lasted like two movies. Oh, yeah, he was. But then um, who else did they get for Q now? Ben Renshaw, I think. Yes, that's who it is. Dang. I miss John Cleese. Oh, yeah, I think he was in like a um, – a like, I think it was actually in a couple of those commercials, too, for, like, the uh, 007 video games. I won't be surprised. He, he's a good voice. I, I wonder – I'm surprised he didn't do more commer- – wait, didn't he do commercials? Now I'm starting to think about it. Wasn't he a spokesman yes, for he some – What was he spokesman for? Oh, no. I know he did Tomb Raider. No, no, no. I mean, he, it was it was when you were really young, so there's no way you probably remember. But I remember watching Channel 1 – not Square 1, Channel 1, um, which is a new <laughs> show for us, which is where um, Anderson Cooper starred and Lisa Ling. But I remember he was a spokesman for some company. If anybody remembers, let me know. Okay, so real quickly, I just want to say, looking at, uh, well, Eric Idle really was not doing much. Oh, of course, he did Reckler in the Transformers movie, European Vacation, Nuns of Run, Too Much Sun, Mom and Dad Save the World, which we both love. Yes. Um, oh, here's a good segue to our next episode. Uh, he was in Honey, I Shrunk the Audience, which was a live uh, short film that they would play at Disneyland when you would take the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids ride. Oh, okay. And I bring this up because our next episode is going to be the 30th anniversary of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. We're going to discuss all three films. Not a lot of people remember there's a third one. Um, it's Honey, I Blew Up the Baby. Worst name ever. I can't believe they even chose that. No wonder the second one flopped. Uh, and the third one is Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. There was even a TV series, I think, lasted two seasons. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Um, so that will be our next episode. Thank you so much for listening to us discuss Monty Python. Um, I feel like there's tons of stuff that we left behind. I, I wish, wish you guys, like, the fact that they had a, a video game, the book is amazing that they put out, which is the size of a fucking Buick. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, Oh, what, what? Uh, a couple more things about John Cleese. Like, he was in a Harry Potter, he was in the first two Harry Potter movies, actually. He was, uh, nearly right. had this snick. What is he? Nearly had this snake. That's right. I knew something had to do with headless in there. And, and Shrek too. Yeah. He was the. Oh my God. Yeah. Like again, his voice was everywhere. He was the go-to guy, of all the again, uh, anything to do with like British royalty or um, older English characters. English. Can... <laughs> <laughs>
and so taunt you a second time. I call your mother up and ask her for a silly thing. I love the fact that Miles just run down the last little bits that we love. I love the fact that they're like, okay, so the plan here, and the fact that he keeps having to lift his stupid shield over and over and over. We're supposed to be inside the rabbit. We go into the building. Wait, wait, hold on a second. Where are we supposed to be? Ooh, we out. <laughs> inside the rabbit. That's the last guy had an eye. <laughs> run away! Run away! <laughs> Always killing their servants. It's just ridiculous. Or eating Robin. Oh God! Uh, eating Robin's minstrels during the animation sequence, and there was much rejoicing. <laughs> there, you, I gotta get you the great, uh, the the last ripoff, the final ripoff. Uh, because there's these little songs and they're so ridiculous. I like Chinese, uh, but it's a little, it's a little dated and a little racist. Because Eric Idle just says, he literally says after, I like Chinese. They only come up to your knees. You're like, whoa! Oh my god. Yeah, but then there's one, there's one that Terry Jones sings. It's so depressing. I like traffic. Oh, I like traffic lights. It's like the whole Tommy sings it like that. Oh <laughs> yeah. my god! Yeah, it, there's one where uh, they're they're talking about these hideous chocolates that are being served, and they're like, "Why would you serve Ram's bladder flavor?" And then Terry Gilliam, he doesn't say a word the entire time. They're going through all these disgusting flavors. There's one that has like corkscrews in it, and they're supposed to spring out and tear through your cheeks. It's just disgusting. And Graham Chapman's like, why would you serve these nasty things? But when he says, I think he says like dead frog, and it has like a little baby frog inside the chocolate or whatever. Terry Gilliam's been standing there the entire time not saying a word. He turns around, takes his helmet off, and marfs into it. <laughs> the whole time holding all that liquid in his mouth, not laughing. It's just brilliant. I think you can find that at the live at the Hollywood Bowl, but it's also on the album. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm exhausting myself. I can't. I can't believe how much we've left on the floor. But anything else you want to say before we go? Because I'm sure we've left a lot of good jokes and sketches. I want a shrubbery. <laughs> oh my god, a shrubbery. Alright, everybody. And then we'll get another shrubbery. And we have the slightly tallest. We've got a two little effect. And we get the little path right down the middle. Uh, what was the. Uh, I think that, I'm trying to think, I'm trying I think to whatever else we missed. But I'm sure that they had albums. They had the films, the TV show, the video game, which was ridiculous. The game was just ridiculously hard. This is when, for some reason, they thought anybody could do these point and click uh, computer games. Even Devo had their own uh, game called Smart Patrol, which you couldn't possibly find now. But I remember not having a, a, a proper memory to run the Monty Python game. And it kept jamming and freezing and locking up. I was like, oh, come on. <laughs> a lot oh, of it's yeah, the no clip point. art. A lot of it was Terry Gilliam's clip art. Oh, wow. Damn. Oh, well, then again, it's Terry Gilliam's uh, art. So you've got to expect it to be, you know, taking up so much space. Yeah, yeah. Just to make it look that good. All right. I have no jokes to end this with. So check us out on Facebook under Video Night. Uh, Jacob and I will do the uh, Honey, I Shrunk Kids 30th Anniversary episode, and I think that's when we're going to have to go back to Back in Tunes or other podcasts to discuss animation, because it's been it's been a little bit since we did one. What was the last one we did? We did the Hanna-Barbera in the 60s. We're supposed to do Hanna-Barbera in the 70s, then the 80s, and then whatever, do Filmation. I don't know. Wonderful, wonderful. Uh, <laughs> Dubious even. <laughs> All right. Everybody, have a good night.